0: sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.
1: Welcome to this edition of the World According to Zig podcast. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host of this program where we talk about the news of the week and the events of my often bizarre life and where we provide you with a full two hours, an oasis, if you will, of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, cultural and political landscape. This is our hour number one podcast for February the 5th, which, of course, is Super Bowl Sunday We are taping this podcast before the big game between the Patriots and the Falcons, so I have no idea who won or what the big storyline will be out of that game, which probably will have nothing to do with the game since we now live in an era where the attention surrounding the Super Bowl is more important than the game itself. You see, I'm old school. I preferred the Super Bowl when the game was important enough to deserve the national attention rather than the national attention dwarfing the game itself. To me, the Super Bowl jumped the shark the year that Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake did that halftime show with the wardrobe malfunction. That was the first time that the attention surrounding the game was bigger than the game itself. And who won, I think that was what 2004, uh, 2005, whatever it was. And, And ever since then, you know, the Super Bowl is an incredibly important cultural event because it's our last other than major holidays, our last and some would argue this is a major holiday communal event other than natural disasters or terrorist attacks or something crazy like that, maybe a national election, uh something along those lines. but on a yearly basis, this is about it. We are so fragmented, so balkanized that uh, you know this is one of the very few things that at least half the country is paying somewhat of attention to. So um, hopefully it was a good game, and I'm, my guess is something not dealing with the game itself will be what people are actually talking about tomorrow, whether that's Lady Gaga at halftime or what have you. Uh, but we do have a lot to talk about on this edition of the World According to Zig podcast. By the way, our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. If you go to freespeechbroadcasting.com, I wrote two columns, both of which I will discuss in this hour of the program that I think you'll find of interest, and there's also an article about hour number two of last week's podcast when we interviewed former CIA director Michael Hayden, and he had some very interesting things to say about Donald Trump and his administration, as well as the entire issue of the intelligence community's reaction to Donald Trump. So check all that out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. In this week's podcast, we're actually going to be speaking with not one, but two guests. In the first hour, for the first time, we're going to be Speaking with a commentator who is actually pro Donald Trump, which will be very interesting. Not just because of that, but also because this is a woman who uh, I spoke with back when I was doing the national radio show about potentially becoming my new co-host after Lee and Brandon abruptly left the show. And her name is Kristen Tate, and I'm looking forward to speaking with her. And then in hour number two, Charlie Sykes a former radio talk show host in Wisconsin who's very anti-Trump and has gotten a lot of national attention because of what happened to his radio show related to Donald Trump will be our guest. That's in our number two. As is now uh, the norm in the post-Trump America, almost all the news this week was dominated by President Trump or news related to him. It's really quite remarkable. I mean, we're going to say this seemingly every week, but it seems like every week now, there are things that in prior administrations would have been the story of the week that by the end of the week, people have trouble even remembering. Like for instance, can you remember the name of the attorney general that Donald Trump fired this week? Can you remember her name? Probably not. Her name is Sally Yates. And by the way, she wanted to be fired and Trump wanted to fire so everybody got what they wanted there, which is so often the case in this upside-down modern media world. But usually a president firing a current attorney general would be a rather large news story. Frankly, we've already gotten to the point where I doubt very many people even remember that it happened. We also, by the way, put Iran quote-unquote on notice. Our national security advisor, Uh, came out in in a public setting at a press conference and said, "Iran, you are on notice. No one really knows what the hell that means. It sounds really tough and scary and dangerous, but uh, they're on notice. And again, not even in the top 10 news stories of the week. One of the things that happened last night, which is getting a lot of discussion today, especially on social media, is what Saturday Night Live did. And uh, I have to tell you, you know, Saturday Night Live for many years has been living for many, many years, been living on their laurels. Very rarely has it done anything really interesting, good, provocative, funny. They should be thanking their lucky stars that they have Donald Trump. I mean, they campaigned as vehemently as anybody could against Donald Trump. But again, in everything being the opposite of what it appears to be, Oftentimes when you appear to lose in our culture, you actually win. And that's definitely happening with Saturday Night Live because Trump has given them a gold mine now to deal with. And last night, boy, did they take advantage of it. Melissa McCarthy, the female actress, the rather rotund female actress, played the part of Sean Spicer, the male press secretary for the Trump administration, and was flat out hilarious. But politically more significant may have been the opening skit in which the senior advisor to the president, Steve Bannon, a guy who we've discussed many times on this program, <laughs> I once had dinner with alone in the Denny's a couple of years ago, which is a whole other story for another day. Uh, he was portrayed as the Grim Reaper, being the man behind Trump during this very strange week of uh, very vitriolic and confrontational phone calls that he had, for instance, with Australia and Mexico. And it's not just that Bannon was portrayed as the Grim Reaper, the man behind the throne, if you will, but it was very, very clear, especially at the end of the opening skit, when Bannon took over Trump's desk in the Oval Office, that Bannon is the real president, and Trump, even in the skit, acknowledges that he'll be at the little kid's desk, and he's not really in charge. Now, I don't know how true that really is. There's certainly potentially some truth to it. In fact, there's a story out. I don't know how true it is because I'll be the first to acknowledge that when it comes to the news media, I'm always skeptical, but even with Trump, even though I'm anti-Trump, there's no doubt that some of these news stories are being exaggerated because of the prism through which the news media sees the Trump administration. They see him as a buffoon, they see which he very well may be. They see him as a puppet, a figurehead. They see Steve Bannon as Saturday Night Live does, this grim reaper figure behind Trump as president. And so anything that fits that narrative, they're going to jump on. And there's a story out that Bannon was apparently effectively told, hey, look, you're not the president, because he tried— to act as the president when it came to a provision within this now very controversial and temporarily halted so-called Muslim travel ban with regard to an order involving green cards. And again, the administration has denied this, but it's gotten some fairly wide play that Bannon effectively tried to pretend he was Donald Trump and got told, hey, look, you're not the president. Only the president can tell us to do this. But here's the important part of the Saturday Night Live sketch. Trump is going to watch it, and it's going to have a massive impact on him. Massive. Because, you know, after all, all I know is what's on the Internet. And the reality is when he sees it, he's going to boil. It's going to get at his ego. It's going to get underneath his skin. And he's going to want to prove that it's not true. It doesn't matter how true. In fact, if it, the more true it is, the more negatively he's going to react to it. And I'm not suggesting that by the end of this week, Steve Bannon will be gone, because that would be too obviously a reaction to Saturday Night Live. I'm talking about long term. I think this is the beginning of a schism between Trump and Bannon, which, by the way, might be a really good thing. But when you combine the fact that Bannon is going to get credit or blame for this rather poor rollout of this so-called Muslim travel ban, even though it's not technically a Muslim travel ban, and now the administration's claiming it's not even a ban, but what the hell? I have no idea. Whatever it is, Bannon has his fingerprints all over this. It's not being perceived well at all. And then you combine that with now, uh, you know, media outlets that Trump has actually been on before, he's hosted Saturday Night Live, and at least has some respect for, then I think uh, Trump is going to definitely feel strongly that... uh, he has to take action here to make it clear that he's in charge again that may or may may or may not be a good thing, but check out Saturday Night Live uh, when you get a chance because it's definitely worth it now, the good news this week, and for me this was you know this was an interesting situation because while I have always paid lip service to the notion that um, I am rooting for Donald Trump, I was always wondering. Am I do I really believe that? Because you know I've been so outspoken saying that he's a hoax. he's a he's a joke. he's uh, a liberal con man. And so, therefore, you know inherently, just human nature, part of me, you would think, is wanting him to fail, so I can go, all right, well, see, I was right about that. But I care deeply about the country. So in my conscious mind, I always said, no, I, I don't care about my own self- interest, whatever that might be here. And I care about the country. So I want him to succeed. Well, the test for that was his Supreme Court pick. And while if he had gone in one direction and would have allowed me to bitch and moan and say, see, I told you so, I was thrilled that that's not the direction he appeared to to go in. Because Neil Gorsuch appears to be the perfect Supreme Court pick. And I wrote a column, which you can check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com, laying out the whole case that. He nailed it, hit a home run. Now, was it his idea? I have no idea, (laughs) but I don't care because Gorsuch, barring a miracle, is going to get confirmed. I had laid out a theory that that was not going to happen, that eventually Trump would tire of a fight, but here's what what they did. Here's what they were smart enough to do, and maybe there were people around him that understood this. Who knows? Maybe it was Steve Bannon or Mitch McConnell or Rince Priebus or whoever the hell it was. Somebody might have figured out That we need to make sure we get a conservative on there who the Democrats can't put up a legitimate long-term fight because there's a good chance Trump might bail on us because he hates fights and he tends to, to settle and move on and declare victory like he did with the Trump University lawsuit that he said he would never settle. Well, however it happened, the Gorsuch pick is fantastic because the reality is he will get approved, the Democrats will put up a fake fight. They will, but the reality is he will eventually become the ninth Supreme Court justice, and I don't think Trump is going to have to endure enough of a fight to get in a situation where he might bail. Now, whether that will require the nuclear option, I don't know. I certainly hope not. I don't think the Democrats are dumb enough, although that's always a bad bet, to force that, but bottom line, I think this was the perfect pick, and I explain why at freespeechbroadcasting.com, and this is fantastic. This is the maybe the most important thing Trump will do in his certainly his first 100 days is the Supreme Court pick. My fear, of course, I'm always looking for the trap door. Yes, we did not lose Scalia's seat. That is fan freaking fan-freaking-tastic cuz it looked like it was lost a little over little under a year ago when Scalia died. That is amazing. It's awesome. The downside though is that now Trump will have so much loyalty with that second tier of his base, the, you know, hardcore constitutional conservative pro-life brigade that had mostly had been somewhat skeptical of him. Now they're going to feel loyal enough to him where he can crap all over conservatives for a very long time to come and still always be able to say, see, you I know, mean, wait a minute, hold on. I'm the guy that replaced Scalia with Gorsuch. So you, 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 can't, you can't be uh, giving me grief. You know, there's an old joke that men are like kitchen tile with regard to women. You lay them right once and you can walk all over them forever. Well, that's basically what Trump did. He, if, if he gets Gorsuch through, he is laying the conservative base correctly one time. And my guess is he's going to walk all over us for eternity. But we'll see. So that's the best news of the week. There's so many other things that that would be in the category of what the fuck is going on here uh, that uh, it's almost surreal. I mean, we're talking months or maybe multiple months worth of uh, gaffes and screw-ups that were all put into one week. So I have no real order in this, but why don't we go to the one that's going to be talked about most today? Because Bill O'Reilly, Trump's milkshake buddy— who had been incredibly soft on him throughout the primary uh, campaign and I think played a key role in Trump uh, basically creating a coup d'etat in the Republican Party and winning that nomination uh, because O'Reilly gave him an enormous amount of free airtime and credibility with no fear of any tough questions because they're buddies from, from way back. O'Reilly did an interview with Trump that air, did air during the pregame show for the Super Bowl. Now, as I said, we're taping this before the Super Bowl game, and so I've not seen the entire interview. I've seen two major clips of it, however, and the first one that has gotten an enormous amount of attention and most of it negative and for understandable reasons deals with O'Reilly asking Trump about his relationship with Russian leader Vladimir Putin, And what Trump said in response, and here's what that sounded like. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. He's a killer. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why do you think our country's so innocent? Yeah, um, pretty amazing stuff from the president of the United States, not in an off-the-cuff statement, but in a situation where he's in front of a massive audience. For the Super Bowl, which is basically a national holiday, it's almost like the 4th of July. And so in front of a massive audience and a friendly interviewer, he equates us with killers and Vladimir Putin. Hey, you know, I can't criticize a killer because after all, you know, we're not so innocent ourselves. Wow. Um, Now, the reality is... It's just flat out ridiculous. And the hypocrisy here is rich, because if if Barack Obama had ever said anything like this, anything remotely like this, forget about even being in front of the Super Bowl, but if he had said anything like this in any setting, every single conservative, including O'Reilly, including Sean Hannity, all of Fox News Channel, all of talk radio would have gone bat shit fucking crazy in criticizing Obama for selling out America, claiming that we're just as bad as Vladimir Putin, and, 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 and you can't even condemn a killer, a, a real killer, by the way, in Vladimir Putin, and not just one or two times. I, I, it's extraordinary, and it's one of those things that makes you think, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe Russia really does have compromising information on him, because it, this makes no goddamn sense. It makes no sense, especially in the context of the fact that his UN ambassador, Nikki Haley, blasted Russia in her first speech to the UN this week, which makes no sense. It almost, it almost to me, felt like, wait a minute, do we have a figurehead situation here? Is Trump really just a literal figurehead where he, he's not going to say anything bad about Putin, but the real administration is going to continue a hard line to Putin, frankly, I, I would be okay with that. I'd be fine with that. I, I, I hope that that's the case almost, as bizarre as that sounds. But I still haven't figured it out. And who the hell knows what, what the truth is. Um, but it, it's, you know, it, and by the way, some people are saying, I think they're trying to mitigate it by saying, well, that Trump said something very similar to Joe Scarborough on MSNBC about a year ago. And I've seen that. And yeah, but that doesn't mitigate this at all. First of all, it further substantiates that that's his true belief because he said it twice. Second of all, um, hello, he's president of the United States now. That's number one. <laughs> number two, again, it's the Super Bowl. <laughs> this, is, this is not venue matters, okay? And this is about as big a venue as you can get to say something like this. Again, in front of about as friendly a questioner as you're going to get. But this is only the tip of the iceberg this week when it came to Trump comments. You know, a judge on Friday uh, stopped the travel ban. A judge, by the way, appointed by George W. Bush. Trump went to Twitter and referred to the judge as a so-called judge. A so-called judge. And that his ruling will be overturned. By the way, so far it has not been. In fact, it's only been upheld which kind of makes you wonder whether or not Sally Yates might have been right when she said, although I I do think it was a political maneuver, she wanted to become famous and get fired and be a martyr and all that kind of thing. But maybe she was right on the merits when she said that she was not going to defend this in court. And that's why she got fired as the acting attorney general. But the reality is you don't, as president of the United States, refer to a judge, especially one appointed by your own party, as a so-called judge, that is as blatant and as dramatic a violation of the separation of powers, the checks and balances, as you could possibly imagine. But, but Trump doesn't care because it's all about ego. Someone ruled against him, therefore they are bad, therefore they must be attacked. That's the way he views things. It's all about him. Then, of course, there was the prayer breakfast at the national prayer breakfast. You cannot make this stuff up. Donald Trump started his remarks by asking people to pray for Arnold Schwarzenegger's bad ratings on The Apprentice. Now, yes, it was funny. Yes, there was some context to it because he was introduced by Mark Burnett, who's a fraud, by the way, as a religious leader. Mark Brunet is, is milking Christians for, for millions of dollars. He's a complete and total fraud. But uh, he gets introduced by this fake Christian fraud, Mark Burnett, who who was the producer of The Apprentice. So there was some context to it. But he went on for quite a while. It was his opening remarks, and it was all about him. He wanted to use this as an opportunity to condemn The Apprentice ratings because they're not as good as when he was there at the National Prayer Breakfast. Now, he's already done this before, by the way, on Twitter. By the way, he's still the executive producer of the show, It doesn't even make any freaking sense, except it's all about him and his ego. Venue doesn't matter. And, you know, the quorum doesn't matter. The sanctity of the office, the dignity of the office doesn't mean a damn to him. It's all about his precious ego. Similar thing happened, or maybe worse, with regard to Black History Month. February is Black History Month. And Trump had a gathering... (laughs) his black friends. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's really, it's so pathetic. It's ridiculous. Oh, look at my African American over here. Uh, He got Ben Carson and Amorosa. Amorosa, a reality star, once the most hated woman in America. Those were two of a handful of people standing next to him. And while he was discussing black history month, clearly reading some notes that someone else had written for him. He referenced abolitionist Frederick Douglass, (laughs) who died in the 1800s. And here's what he had to say about Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass is an example of somebody who's done an amazing job and is being recognized more and more, I notice. Yes, he's doing an amazing job And being recognized more and more, I've noticed. Now, there's two things about the Frederick Douglass comment. Number one, it's obvious Trump doesn't know who the fuck Frederick Douglass is. No clue. Number two, he thinks he might be alive. Now, it doesn't prove that he thinks he's alive based upon the phrasing and the tense that he uses, but he's not sure. (laughs) He he wasn't going to use past tense, so he uses current tense because he's not quite sure. Sean Spicer, his press secretary, who had three hours to prepare for this because it was obvious someone was going to ask about his Frederick Douglass comments, didn't even bother to Google the name, had even less of a clue in his response to the press about who Frederick Douglass was than Donald Trump did. And these things matter, folks. This, you know, the presidency, this is one of the many reasons why. I was so concerned about a Donald Trump presidency. It wasn't just his positions I didn't trust because he's a liberal con man. It's because his temperament and his ego are so incredibly ill suited, not to mention his lack of basic knowledge of the world, are so incredibly ill suited to the ceremonial elements of being a president. And frankly, the ceremonial elements are a huge portion of what the office of the presidency has become. And he's just not capable of performing them, whether it's the National Press prayer breakfast or whether or not it's the uh, you know Black History Month and, and a simple statement about Frederick Douglass. It's amazing. And then similarly, there's reports out this week, maybe exaggerated, but they seem to be substantiated by some pretty solid sourcing. And as a matter of fact, Trump himself, I think, effectively confirmed the reality of this by going to Twitter and, and uh, talking about the issue of Australia and refugees that the Obama administration had made a deal for 1,200 of them to come to the United States. From what I have read, these are not dangerous people; these are people suffering greatly that the Obama administration had agreed to take. I, I don't; I'm not an expert on it, but that's that was my take based upon what I read. The reality is that Trump. <laughs> had a very, very poor phone call with the prime minister of Australia. He ended up yelling and screaming and apparently ending it and telling him it was the worst call he had all day, a day that included a call with Vladimir Putin. Australia has been probably our greatest, most loyal ally in the fight on terror ever since 9-11. And here we are crapping all over their prime minister in a phone call. By the way, the fact that it got leaked uh, the way that it did is an indication that uh, Trump has some enemies on the inside, which is another thing to be watching. There have been an enormous amount of leaks in this administration all over the place for this early on. Uh, that indicates to me that there are some people very close to the situation that are highly uncomfortable with what is happening. And that's something to keep an eye on. But when you can't even have a, a, a normal phone call with Australia, Australia, that's a problem. That's a really big problem when you can't have a, a decent phone call with the prime minister of Australia. You know, Howard Stern made some interesting comments this week is about his old buddy who was interviewed many, many times, thinking that the presidency is actually going to be bad for Donald Trump's mental health and that he may not like it at all. And I, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it's always dangerous to do dime store psychology, but I think Trump uh, might be close to what Stern is saying. I think I think his burn rate now is so fast in these first couple of weeks. I, what I can't tell the, to me the primary question about the Trump administration right now, from a non political standpoint, is is the burn rate so great? When I mean by burn rate is you know the the insanity, the chaos, the the scandals, the news stories that are just insane. Is that burn rate so fast that there's no possible way he can survive four years or even want to survive four years or even want to run for reelection? Or is this creating so much chaos and insanity that we're all desensitized to everything and then nothing has any impact? I think that that's a plausible scenario as well. So I don't have an answer to that. But those are the two scenarios I see. Either this is all going to burn out real fast or he'll be completely immune to anything because we'll be all we'll be so desensitized to it. I mean, it's hard to imagine now what story makes us go, oh my God, what is happening? You know, unless you're a liberal with your hair on fire. But... um Now, there was another. Speaking of gaffes, I have to mention what happened with uh, Kellyanne Conway, the former campaign manager for Donald Trump, now a a senior advisor, with the so called Bowling Green Massacre. And this deals with the issue of the travel ban and the fact that she was trying to claim, hey, look, you know, Obama did the same thing, even though he really didn't, uh, with regard to Iraq. And then she tried to tell a story backing that up, and boy, did it go awry, and here's what that sounded like.
0: I bet it's brand new information to people that President Obama had a six-month ban on the Iraqi refugee program after two Iraqis came here to this country, Mm. were radicalized, and they were the masterminds behind the Bowling Green Massacre. Most people don't know that because it didn't get covered.
1: Yeah, most people don't know that because it didn't get covered because, um, because, uh, because it didn't happen. Um, th- there, there was never a Bowling Green massacre. Uh, and this has been rightfully roundly mocked on uh, Twitter and social media. In fact, there were even <laughs> some fundraising efforts for the victims of the M- Bowling Green massacre. There were, there were actually demonstrations or I guess commemorations in New York City for people gathering for the memory of those who were lost in the Bowling Green massacre. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, what she me- says she meant to say was the Bowling Green terrorists, but even that doesn't really wash. First of all, terrorist and massacre are two very, 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 very different words. But secondly, what really happened here was that it was found out after these two Iraqis came to Kentucky that they had been involved in an attack in Iraq. And by the way, they ended up being punished. So nothing happened in this country. There was no massacre of any sort. I believe that there was a Bowling Green connection because that's where they were in Kentucky. But there, clearly the implication was, boy, there was a massacre at Bowling Green and the media just didn't cover it because they didn't want to make Obama look bad. No, it didn't happen. And look, gaffes occur, mistakes occur. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure, what, I honestly am not, whether or not this was a pure mistake out of being exhausted I have trouble with transferring the word massacre with terrorists. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Also, her story is not really analogous to what the situation is with the current travel ban. But more importantly than all of that, I'm sorry. When you are mocking the media, as Conway was doing there, oh, you guys didn't even report this. And you're the one who coins the phrase alternative facts, you lose any benefit of the doubt when it comes to making an honest mistake. That's just the rules. When you, when you are mocking the news media and coming up with phrases like alternative facts, then I'm sorry, um, you may have made a mistake, but it certainly sounds like you're just bullshitting and you're creating bullshit. And by the way, maybe even believing it's... It, see, I think what's more consistent, I don't know this for fact, but you know the Trump administration believes everything that they hear that fits with what they want to believe, you know, no matter how batshit crazy the conspiracy theory is, whether it's from Alex Jones or Fox News Channel or or, all I know is what's on the Internet. You know, so they're they are more than capable of taking fragments of information, creating their own narrative and actually believing that that's what happened once it gets repeated enough. So it wouldn't shock me if Kellyanne Conway actually believed because someone in the Trump administration believed that there was really a Bowling Green massacre, but there was not. So we're, we're living in a post-truth Trump world. Now, obviously, I am not a fan of Donald Trump, although I try to be as fair as possible. We've yet to speak on this program with a pro-Trump guest. Well, I decided in the, you know, out of curiosity and in the interest of fairness that I would try to fix that. And so I've invited on Kristen Tate, who was a woman I met because she was being considered to be my radio co-host after Leah Brandon left the program, the old radio program, the old nationally syndicated radio show, on Sunday nights. And uh, she is someone who is very interesting. She's young. You've seen her on Fox News Channel as a commentator. She's also a political contributor for The Hill. She's got a brand new book, Government Gone Wild. Her website is libertarianchick.com. And I'm very curious to find out why she is, in fact, very pro-Trump, because she's also rational and smart. So without further ado, Kristen Tate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Kristen, before we get into your view of uh, Donald Trump, which I find interesting, give us a little bit on your book, Government Gone Wild, because this is part of uh, what I think provides interesting context for your views on Trump.
2: Sure. So I wrote my book to get young people, particularly millennials, who aren't already politically active, interested and engaged in politics in a way that's fun because I think too often politics is just really depressing and, you know, we're facing a bad job market right now and uh, a lot of times millennials just throw their hands up and choose to disengage altogether.
1: And But the title, Government Gone Wild, obviously, as a libertarian, you're someone who doesn't believe in the concept of big government, right?
2: Right, that's of course. So I'm trying to show young people in a way that's fun and engaging and full of pop culture how less government can give them more prosperous and free lives. So, you know, I think a lot of young people have pretty strong opinions when it comes to abortion or gay marriage. Everyone kind of knows about those issues. But what a lot of young people don't engage with are the fiscal issues. So like taxes, regulatory issues, things like that. That's really where my book focuses. And uh, again, it's it's showing young people how we want to get the governments out of our wallets. And it's doing it in a way that's engaging to them, because a lot of these issues are boring and they're depressing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, as a libertarian myself, Kristen, I, I agree with you in concept, and I full, fully support your efforts to try to educate young younger people, as a younger person yourself, uh, into these concepts. But in my view, Donald Trump is very likely to be antithetical to, to this philosophy and and I, I know you don't necessarily agree with that, but but I'm curious. Let's go through your experience with the so-called, I guess you called the, the the Trump phenomenon. You actually worked uh, for Breitbart for a while, and I know you you worked for I guess Steve Bannon at, at some point. I know he gave you a blurb for your book. Uh, so so go back to to your experience with Bannon. What do you make of Steve Bannon, uh, who is now, you know, Saturday Night Live is saying he's really the president. So, so, what, do you, so, so what, what do you make of him?
2: Well, I have had nothing but positive experiences with Steve Bannon. I can tell you from my experiences that he is not a racist, he's not a misogynist. He's not any of those things that the media loves to say he is. He's a very, very brilliant strategist and businessman. Of course, I only know knew him in the context of Breitbart. Uh, and then in that context, he was absolutely brilliant, gave me and many other young people phenomenal opportunities. Uh, you know, I was fresh out of college, and they sent me down to Texas, where I got to do reporting on the border and see with my own eyes the uh, immigration crisis. So, I had very positive experiences with both Steve Bannon and with Breitbart. Uh, I chose to left to leave Breitbart because uh, as the election was approaching, again, I, I thought that there were a lot of windows of opportunity for me to really reach out to young people who aren't already on Breitbart. You know, everyone who's on Breitbart, they already share the same views. I wanted to tap into a new demographic, which is why I, I chose to write wrote my book. Um so that's that's kind of how I made that transition. As for Trump, you know, I have been very clear that I don't agree with Trump on all of the issues, but I backed him because of the two choices I had. He aligned more with my beliefs. And I think in terms of at least business, he is a lot more friendly to growth and prosperity. You know, he wants to lower the corporate tax rate. I love that. Um is a businessman himself. I like that, uh, and he can kind of gauge the issues that these business business leaders are dealing with better than someone like Obama, whose only experience was being a community organizer. So, by all means, I'll totally admit that Trump was not ever my perfect candidate, but I, I had to choose him over Hillary Clinton.
1: Well, do you understand? Those uh, people like myself who philosophically are very concerned about what a Trump presidency is likely to lead to, and specifically for conservatism and I guess libertarianism uh, as an extension of that. Because m- in my view, Kristen, is that a couple things one, uh, t- what Trump does is going to be perceived by a generation. And these are the same young people that you're trying to target as what republicanism is. And there is once republicanism is about big government, big infrastructure spending, big deficits, building massive walls, and, and a whole lot of other things that where the government is the source, uh, you know, in, in his own words, only I can fix it. Uh, as he said at the Republican convention, are you at all concerned? And do you understand the concerns of people like me who go, wait a minute, where do we go from here down the road once Trumpism is now defined as Republicanism or conservatism?
2: Yeah, of course I understand your concerns and I have concerns too. too. Do I like the wall? No, I don't like the wall. But again, as a whole, I have to choose Trump because Hillary, I mean, she would have been a disaster on every front. So, yeah, I totally understand your concerns and other, you know, never-Trumpers concerns. I actually share a lot of those concerns, but I'm also kind of practical in the sense that, you know, I know that Ted Cruz is not an option at this point, who is my first choice. Um, You know, I know that's not going to happen. So during the election, we had two choices, and I had to pick one.
1: Right, and and for the record, you know, I just I just chose to remain agnostic. I didn't vote for either. I didn't even know for sure who I wanted to win. Now, 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 the fact that Trump picked Gorsuch this week for the Supreme Court makes me feel if I had known that, if I if someone, you know, if if there was a God uh, and God had come down and said, hey, look, Zig, uh, the first you know, he's going to replace Scalia with a true blue conservative and he's going to get him through. I would have said, you know what? I'll hold my nose and and uh, you know, and and take my chances here even though I still have grave concerns about where this is all going to lead. I don't think that we knew that until this week because I don't think there was anything in his background that made him trustworthy enough for us to believe that we could put all all of our eggs in this very scary basket because Uh, of who he is, and and I've often referred to him as a liberal con man. I don't think there's any chance in the world that the real Donald Trump is pro-life, for instance. I think he's fooling people with regard to that. Uh,
2: I I don't think Trump cares much about social issues, to be honest. Uh but yeah, okay, let's say he's a he's a liberal con man when it comes to social issues. Right. I'm willing to consider that. Okay, fine, but he's up against a full blown progressive liberal. And we know Trump is not a liberal when it comes to business and corporate issues.
1: Well we don't so well, hold on a second, someone- Kristen. We don't know that yet. I mean, he says, he has made statements in indicating he'll decrease taxes. He's also made statements to Breitbart, as a matter of fact, at the beginning of the campaign, that he'll increase taxes, uh, especially on the wealthy. So we, we and there's no, there's no uh, movement right now that in Congress to, to, to uh, reduce taxes where I'm hoping that that's going to happen, but we don't know that. I mean, it depends on what mood Trump is in that day. So, I mean, that doesn't worry you?
2: Again, I mean, yes, it does worry me. But we, okay, let me put it to you this way. We know there was a 100% chance that Hillary was going to raise taxes. We knew there was a 100% chance that Hillary would be pro choice. We knew there was a 100% chance that right. Hillary would further a progressive social agenda. agenda. Right. We knew that for a fact. So right there, you have a very awful option. Your other option, yeah, you know, there's an 80% chance he will be conservative on taxes. There's maybe a 50% chance he'll be conservative on the social issues. I mean, wouldn't you rather take those chances over just knowing for sure that 100% we're going to get the very leftist progressive agenda?
1: And and here's how I respond to that, Kristen, because that's a rational—and what I like about you is that you— You are very rational about this, unlike a lot of Trump fans who are are completely emotional and and lacking any consistency. Uh, I I do want to ask you about the hypocrisy issue momentarily, because I think we've all as conservatives now are are a bunch of incredible hypocrites when it comes to the things that we let Trump get away with. But but I digress for a second. But my concern here has always been in the longer term. And this is interesting because, you know, I'm an old fart. You know, I, I'm almost 50 years old. You're young. Now I've got a young daughter and, a, and I'm, I, you know, my wife is going to be giving birth to another daughter soon. So maybe that's partially why I'm looking at this thing longer term. And there's two responses to your point of view there. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy all those percentages you just gave, but you're not counting. There's a there's a not zero chance that Trump fucks this thing up so badly that uh, the country goes into disarray and and a Republican never gets elected ever again. Uh, do you- okay,
2: fine. So let's say let's say there's a ten percent chance of that, right? Wouldn't you think Hillary would give us an eighty or ninety percent chance of that having a progressive liberal in there who's going to put more people on welfare who will never vote Republican again? See,
1: see but who will you're,
2: further you're- a social leftist agenda who and who will mobilize? You know. Parts of our country who will never, ever, ever vote Republican, who will let on illegal immigrants come in here unchecked, who wants to give those people voting rights? I mean, how can you possibly think that Trump, no matter what he does, is going to set Republicanism up for a bleaker future than having Hillary Rodham Clinton in office for Again, eight years?
1: Again, for the record, I want to emphasize, I was agnostic on, on which way to go, but there was an argument to be made, I believe, that... You let Hillary fail. we see, we we fucked up in the primaries, okay? Uh, we we had a couple of really good options, which we decided uh, weren't sexy enough. So in my view, we needed we needed to do, uh, take our punishment, take our medicine, uh, allow Hillary potentially to to come into office. The economy's going nowhere, and under her, it would have gone nowhere fast. And then take, you know have a huge majority in the Senate in two thousand and eighteen and beat the crap out of her in 2020 with an actual conservative. And now we're set up for long-term, real conservative gain, as opposed to this game they're playing now, which is all very short-term, and where every night we've got to hold our breath, wondering about what's going to be the reality when we wake up in the morning, depending on the president's mood and his Twitter feed. So, so that's okay. Why- hold
2: on. There are two. There are two different issues that you're talking about right now that I'm hearing. One is temperament. I share those concerns, and I'll totally give that to you. However, this whole argument about like, oh, Hillary gives us a, a chance for a clean slate. I don't buy it because Hillary would have put more people on welfare. Once you get people on welfare, they will never vote Republican again. She would have furthered these liberal socialist. Uh, social agendas, once you do that, again, it, it get, once you get people dependent on the government, when you grow government, in my experience, you will just grow the Democrat voting population. And then the other big issue here is immigration. I mean, she pretty much wanted amnesty. How could you possibly think that when you have four to eight years of pretty much open borders, that Republicans are going to have some big comeback in four to eight years? It just seems very unlikely to me. Whereas with Trump, You know, okay, yeah, I'll give it to you. There's a 10 to 20 percent chance he'll really mess things up for Republicans. I don't actually think that's high. I think it's maybe a 2 to 5 percent chance. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, there's a 10 to 20 percent chance. I think that there is also a 70 to 80 percent chance that he will make the Republican brand stronger. I mean we have never seen such an engaged base on the Republican side more uh, people enthusiastically turned out to vote for Trump than any <laughs> Republican in history. Yeah, there is a silent majority in this country he, and they really do love Trump.
1: Well wait a minute. They're not a silent majority, Kristen, because he got 46% of the vote and if he hadn't pulled off miracles in three states he had no business winning, he loses. So, I mean he, he lost by by 3 million well, he votes. Did, he
2: did off miracles in those. States. Yeah, but he, but yeah, I but think but, he, but he hold on a
1: conscience. second, Kristen. Just for the record, just this is important. There are really only two states where Donald Trump. There was this this wave of people who came out in big numbers, Pennsylvania and Florida, where he way outperformed Mitt Romney from 2012 against a much 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 worse candidate. Almost every other state, he did about as well as Romney did nothing significantly better, again, against worse competition. So I, 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 if, if, Kristen, he had won, uh, you know, with 50% of the vote and, and won the popular vote and all that, I, I think there would be an argument to be made. But, uh, you know, frankly, I think this was a fluke among flukes, something that cannot be duplicated. And with regard to the, just to, on the amnesty thing, you know, we have a, currently have a Republican Senate and a Republican House, Hillary would have been basically powerless on that, on that front for the, for the next two years. And there's likely going to be more Republican senators in 2018 because of the way the map looks. So I was never as concerned about Hillary being able to forever destroy any chance of conservative gains in the future. I wanted to see her set up to fail so that we could have a legitimate conservative eventually take over. But obviously, this is all water under the bridge at this point. Let's talk about something that's, that's more current. I'm curious, what do you, as a conservative commentator, Kristen, what do you make of what I see as the incredible hypocrisy with regard to the way Trump is treated by the conservative media and the way the conservative media would have freaked out if Barack Obama had done anything close to some of the things or said some of the things that Donald Trump has? Let's let's use a specific. Trump telling Bill O'Reilly before the Super Bowl— that, you know, yeah, Putin's a killer, but, you know, we're not we're, we're not innocent either, effectively equating Putin's Russia with the United States of America and also not condemning Putin in general or specifically as a killer. Here's why. Here's why.
2: I don't think people in this country really care much about Russia. I don't think Trump won okay. this election because of the economy. I don't think he won because of Russia. I don't think That's he won not the because issue. On a bigger military. He won because of immigration. People well, love what not he's true. doing. They support the travel ban. I think, no, I really think that he won because of immigration. Well,
1: that none of the Trump polls indicate fa- that at all. <laughs> but, Trump
2: but, was a far, well, okay, yeah, well, the polls certainly didn't indicate Trump would win either. Right. Look, I mean, Trump was a far-fledged fringe candidate until the day that he got on stage and he said that he acknowledged the problem. You know, all these other Republicans have been tiptoeing around immigration because they wanted to tap into the Latino vote. So they thought the way to do that was to not address
1: immigration Kristen, head well, on. Kristen, I want to get back to this issue of hypocrisy real quick because we only have a few more minutes because I know you, you you live in Houston and you got to get to a Super Bowl party. <laughs> but, but 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 with regard, if if Barack- Well, here's
2: my point about this, though. No, hold point, on. Wait a I, minute. I'm saying it's
1: if Barack Obama had said this, about you, people don't care about hypocrisy?
2: I'm telling you, no, that's why I'm talking about immigration, because I, I really don't think Trump supporters care about the hypocrisy with Putin because they don't care about that. All they I care understand about that, is immigration. that's not the
1: issue. I want to get back to the issue of the conservative media. Now, you, you go on these TV programs a lot, uh, especially on Fox News Channel, because you're a young, attractive, conservative female, and they love that, and that's fantastic. But, 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 but be honest with me, Kristen, if Barack Obama had said what Trump did to O'Reilly before the Super Bowl, how large would the freak out have been within Fox News Channel and the conservative media? Be honest with me.
2: No, I'm sure it would have been a big freak out. I'll admit that.
1: And so is that not hypocrisy on the part of the conservative media? Does that not destroy our credibility as, as conservative commentators?
2: Hold on, though. Let's just, we, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that the conservative media hasn't really been a friend to Trump. I mean, they have what? not been on him at all. What? I know from personal experience, I mean, look, especially in the election, the second anyone in the conservative media or the mainstream media found out that you were a Trump supporter, you were pretty much written off. And it was really interesting, actually, the commentators on cable news who support Trump don't match up with the American people who support Trump, who are Republican voters. There are very few people in the mainstream media, or at least there were up until the election, who would come out in support of Trump, even the conservatives. Uh, and, and that that's... does not align with the American people. So I don't think that the media has been easy on Trump oh, at all. I think they're very tough on him, uh, whoa, whoa. even
1: the conservative media. Uh, no, that Kristen... You
2: have the National Review, the largest conservative yeah. established publication, right. writing a letter against <laughs> the GOP candidate. I mean, right. that's unheard
1: of. Right. But Fox News Channel has far, far, far more influence than National Review. And Fox News Channel, uh, you know, and frankly, I, I believe, Kristen, that to host a primetime show on Fox News Channel, you ought to need Senate confirmation. You're that much a part of the administration at this point. I mean, it is state run media. It is state-run media, The Drudge Report. It is state-run media at Breitbart.com. It is state-run media on Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and most of talk radio. Uh, We have left our principles at the door, hypocrisy all over the place, all because everyone is afraid. Everyone wants to ride the Trump ratings wave, which Fox News Channel has done and talk radio has done. And everyone is afraid of Trump's wrath or pissing off his rabid base of supporters, which is the the core of the conservative media audience. This is about business. And it was about business during the primaries when they gave Trump an enormous amounts of coverage, free airtime, airing his rallies live when they didn't do that for anybody else. Everybody. Well, the
2: liberal media did that too. You know why? Because people wanted Ratings. to watch his rallies. Because they're fun. And Trump said things that no one else wanted to acknowledge, and that he was the first one to do that. It wasn't just the conservative media that was covering his rallies. Trust me, CNN, MSNBC, they were doing it, too, because Hillary would get up there and read fluffy speeches that meant nothing. She would get up there and be like, we all need to support each other. Well, okay, that doesn't really mean anything. Trump was getting up there saying things that no one else would acknowledge. They were not often scripted speeches. And people wanted to watch that because for too long we have had these robots, Get up right. there and read fluffy sound bites that mean nothing, and people are sick of it.
1: I agree with you, but that's entertainment, that's not news. And, and the president of the United States should not it's be chosen there. It's acknowledging
2: real problems. It's acknowledging real problems. It's not necessarily, I mean, y'all admit there's an entertainment aspect of it, but I think the more important aspect is that Trump was acknowledging real problems. You know, saying things like, we all support each other, that doesn't mean much. But when you get up there and you actually talk about immigration in ways that every other politician is too cowardly to do, that is, that's acknowledging a problem, and, and that's what the people really wanted.
1: Well, Kristen, last question with, with regard to the issue of entertainment. And you are you know, very smart, uh, and, I, and I, I commend what you're doing, and I, I hope your book, uh, Government Gone Wild, does really well, and your work on The Hill and LibertarianChick.com. People ought to check that out. So I have zero issue. I, I hope you, your voice expands as much as possible. But I'm curious whether or not you would acknowledge That the way that the quote-unquote news media works today and the way that television specifically works, if you were not attractive and a young female, do you think you would be with the same credentials and everything, same opinion, same everything, do you think you would be booked as often on cable news television?
2: You know, I can't say that for sure. I don't know. Probably not as often, but I will say this, John. I think cable news is going to dwindle in its importance over the next few years. I think my kids, maybe your kids, probably won't even have a cable box in their house when they're older. Um, Cable is probably going away, and we're going to see more, you know, podcasts, Facebook Live. Social media, we're going to see more superstars like Milo Yiannopoulos and Tommy Laren and less of the establishment cable media. So, I mean, yeah, I probably wouldn't get as much airtime if I weren't attractive. I think that's true of everyone who goes on TV, but I also think that it's going to become irrelevant because, frankly, I think cable news, you know, eventually will become irrelevant as well because, you know, you can get your news online now and you can do it in a more entertaining way and it's free.
1: Kristen Tate, great talking to you. I hope we do it again soon.
2: Thank you so much, John. Would love to come back.
1: All right. Enjoy the Super Bowl. That's uh, Kristen Tate. Uh, check her out at libertarianchick.com. Uh, in hour number two of the program, make sure you stay tuned or, or check out our hour number two because we're going to be speaking with uh, someone who's a commentator from the other side of the spectrum with regard to Donald Trump, former radio talk show host Charlie Sykes, who has a lot to say about the conservative media and uh, will definitely not agree with uh, Kristen Tate. Kristen's view on that. Uh, I only ask you to do two things with regard to this podcast, which we do for free on a weekly basis for you to get a different perspective uh, when it comes to conservatism in this era where most of the conservative media is totally sold out to Donald Trump. The two things are this. If you like the podcast, share it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. Tag me and I'll retweet it or share it, what have you. Uh, It's all I ask. Tell somebody else you like the podcast and share it on social media. Number two is if you happen to be one of those people who actually sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, do yourself a favor and listen to this important message.
0: Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are, mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and... Then an hour later, throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. (laughs) Well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com.